This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. My brother once carried one of the dogs into the trees to show her there was nothing scary about it. But she wriggled out of his grip and sprinted into the house in a panic. The moment we turned onto this road, I got a sinking pit in my stomach, as if we were somewhere we were not supposed to be. I can't explain why, but for some reason, there were these pairs of footsteps that just stood out to me. From Disturbed Media, Join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales and a voicemail that will send chills down your spine. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with a submission from Vicky, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin, and we find out that the streets aren't so safe. This happened when I was in my early 20s. I dropped out of university and ended up working for a small indie record label that was based in one of the most deprived parts of London. Now, this place has a bad rap, but let me say that aside from these instances I am going to share here, I found it to be a vibrant and friendly place, and I have a lot of fond, though hazy, memories of my time there. The first incident happened as I was walking up the street mid-morning to start my shift answering phone calls and packaging vinyl. Seemingly out of nowhere, a crack addict walked up and shoulder-barged me into the full-length window of a bedding shop. I was taken completely off guard, lost my footing entirely, and before I knew it, I was slumped halfway to the pavement, spider cracks spreading across the glass window in the shape of my head and upper back. The man... Clearly high with the wildest eyes I have ever seen, was leering over me. Then, before I knew it, he was thrown to the ground. I looked up and a group of Turkish youths were surrounding us. One had his Adidas trainer pressed into the man's neck as he writhed around trying to get back to his feet. This man bothering you, bruh? 
one of the teens asked me before landing a kick in the man's stomach. Still in shock, I'm unsure what I stammered out in response as one of them helped me to my feet. I thanked them for saving me and went on my way to work. I recognized a couple of the youths from the convenience store a couple of doors down from our offices. I think it was their dad's or uncle's place and I'd sometimes see them hanging around in there. Or occasionally working at the counter when I'd go in to buy a drink or a pack of cigarettes. I told my colleagues about what had happened and they agreed I was lucky to have the youngsters come to my rescue. Or everything could have been so much worse. Around two weeks later, I decided to venture to the pizza place across the street from my work during my lunch hour. It turned out I was more hungover than I thought after spending the night before drinking Snakebite in my local pub, and I needed something to soak up the alcohol. I'd ordered a 10-inch pepperoni and was waiting by the counter when a group of young boys entered. I recognized a couple of them from the incident two weeks ago and gave them an awkward nod of acknowledgement. One of the boys leaned over the counter and started shouting, Hey! Hey, give us some food, bruh! To a middle-aged Lebanese man working in the kitchen. The man called out in a language I didn't understand to someone in the back. Then the boys began pushing one another and getting rowdy, shouting and laughing, and one of them knocked the cardboard box that was full of disposable plastic forks off the counter. They clattered to the floor by my feet, and one of the boys picked a few up and started flicking them at me and the guy behind the counter. I told them to leave me alone and did my best not to meet their gaze. Once my pizza was finally in my hand, two of the group trailed me as I walked out of the shop. Give us your pizza, mate. Come on, give it here. One said while the other kept kicking the back of my shoes as I tried to walk away. The rest stayed inside the takeaway still giving the guys in there a hard time. As I walked in between two parked cars, just a stone's throw away from my workplace, one of the guys grabbed hold of me by the neck and pinned me to one of the parked cars. My grip tightened around the pizza box. I said, give me your fucking pizza. He sneered at me. Look, he said, raising his eyebrows and casting his gaze quickly down. My eyes slowly followed snaking down the zip of the hoodie of the boy who just weeks before had been my savior, to the glint of the switchblade he had wedged in the waistband of his joggers. I let go of my pizza, and in that split second as he looked down as the box slammed onto the ground, I used every bit of strength I had in me to push this guy off me. It must have caught him off guard, and he stumbled back. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw one of the guys he had been with in the pizza shop moving closer to us, and, amped with pure fear and adrenaline, I did something I had never done. I punched this guy square in the face. After I had punched him, I punched him again and again, and we began to sink down together between these two parked cars. We were twisted together in this weird, awkward mess of bodies, and I don't think he could quite angle his arm to get a proper swing at me, so I just kept hitting him. I hit him until my knuckles and his jaw were splashed red, blood splattering the paintwork of the cars we were mashed between. I hit him until my arm ached. When I finally stopped and took a step back, he had enough space to fully sink to the ground. He groaned and started to crawl away. In the distance, I saw his so-called friend running, disappearing down the street, my pizza box in his hand. I arrived back to the office, pale-faced and shaking. 
I sat down behind my desk, cradling my swollen knuckles. As the adrenaline wore off, the pain began to hit me in waves. My colleagues surrounded me. A mix of offers from calling the police to getting a mob together to go and look for them. All I wanted to do was go home, take a hot shower and change out of this bloody t-shirt. I left early that day and I only stayed there another week after that. I couldn't stand the feeling of constantly looking over my shoulder. I had to take a new route to work so I didn't have to walk past the Turkish grocery store. And I brought a foil-wrapped sandwich to eat at my desk after that. No more venturing out in my lunch hour. Not even for a pack of cigarettes. The pay at the record label was terrible. Most days were spent waiting for the phone to ring, and the office smelled damp like sweat and spilled whiskey. But it was honestly one of the best jobs I had ever had. And I was sad I had to leave. I left London a couple of years later and moved back up north, settled down and started a family. Now I live in a leafy suburbia, a whole world away from the concrete jungle of the capital. I feel like I'm a different person now, and that time in my life, although I enjoyed it, seems like it happened to another person. One thing I know I will never forget, though, is how I felt in that moment, and what it was like to feel the blood on my hands the person who would have ended my life right there on the street for the sake of a free pizza. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, Shoutouts and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Wispified, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. And we deal with the forest behind the house. I was eight years old when we first moved into the house on the edge of the forest. My parents had their doubts about buying a house with a backyard bordered by forest. They had concerns about wild animals getting into our bins or hurting our dogs, and were worried one of us might go too far into the trees and get lost. But it was cheap, and my dad liked the seclusion. My mom loved the house itself, and my siblings and I were excited about playing in the backyard and exploring the forest. Our first sign that something wasn't right was that our dogs were absolutely terrified of the forest. They never went into the forest for any reason. If a toy they'd been playing with found its way past the tree line, they would refuse to retrieve it. And when one of us went in, they would pace anxiously until we returned. On occasion, we'd notice the dogs staring at a spot in the forest in obvious distress, sometimes growling or barking, but we could never see anything there. My brother once carried one of the dogs into the trees to show her there was nothing scary about it, but she wriggled out of his grip and sprinted into the house in a panic. If we were in the backyard when it was getting dark, we sometimes heard noises, like someone was walking through the forest. Sticks crunching underfoot, branches being pushed aside. If we called out, there was no response. But if we shined a flashlight around, we could occasionally catch a glimpse for just a split second of something that we could swear looked like a person walking around in the dark. 
My parents quickly banned us from entering the forest at all after dark. And even during the day, we weren't allowed to go out of sight of the house. My sister's bedroom window looked out at the backyard and the forest beyond. And she remembers looking out her window one night and seeing a shadowy figure standing right at the edge of the backyard. She says there was something wrong with it. Like it wasn't quite standing on the ground and it was a little too tall to be a person and it was sort of distorted. And she was convinced it was staring at her. She called for our dad, saying there was a man in the yard staring through her window, and when he ran outside to chase off whoever it was, she continued to watch the figure. It didn't move away, but when the light from our dad's flashlight passed over it, it suddenly just wasn't there anymore. We regularly heard knocking at the back door at night, with no one there, Our parents thought it was teenagers playing pranks and stopped bothering even opening the door until one rainy night when the knocking was persistent and agitated. My mom pointed out that there might be someone needing shelter from the heavy rain outside. But when she opened the door, not only was there no one there, but there were no wet footprints on the porch. The knocking continued the whole time we lived there. It would happen several times in the span of a few weeks, then stop for months then start up again. My parents eventually installed a security camera, and there was never anyone at the door. The camera wasn't all useless, though. About three years into living there, my brother started having night terrors and sleepwalking. When he went sleepwalking, he would always go out the back door and start walking towards the forest. My mom, being a light sleeper, would hear the door open and would run out to get him before he made it into the forest. After the third or fourth time it happened, my brother asked to see the camera footage because he wanted to see how he looked when sleepwalking, I guess thinking it'd look funny. The footage showed him walking out onto the porch, then pausing as if listening to something and shaking his head. Then, reluctantly walking forward as if being pulled or forcefully guided by something. One evening, My dad was in the backyard, and he heard my sister calling him from the forest, seemingly in distress. Thinking she'd gone exploring in the forest and fallen over and hurt herself, he ran in and started calling to her, but quickly realized it was too dark to see her, and he couldn't pinpoint where her voice was coming from. He told her to wait where she was until he grabbed a flashlight. When he ran back into the house for the flashlight, he saw my sister inside, safe, and completely unconcerned. At the time, my dad hadn't told us about hearing my sister's voice in the forest. So when I heard my mom's voice coming from the forest months later while I was outside with the dogs one evening, I didn't question it despite the fact I'd seen my mom inside recently and hadn't noticed her walk past me. My mom was calling me, saying she'd gotten her sweater caught in some branches and needed me to come in and help her. As I walked in, The dogs started barking, alerting my dad, who saw me through the window wandering into the forest. He came outside and called to me, and I said I was just helping mom. He yelled back that mom was inside, and I needed to run back to the house as fast as I could, which I did. After this, my parents had a fence built around the backyard and started looking for a new place. In the time between the fence being built and us moving out, it got way worse. We'd hear knocking at the door more regularly, as well as tapping on the windows, as if somebody was walking the perimeter of our house 
and trying every window. We would often hear scratching and scraping sounds on the fence and voices behind it. My brother's night terrors got more frequent, and one night, my mom didn't hear the door open when he went sleepwalking, and he woke up standing at the fence, staring into the forest, with the dogs barking at him. The last morning we spent there, less than four years after we moved in, we woke up to find the back door fully open, and the security camera footage showed it slowly swinging open on its own. Since moving out, my brother's sleepwalking has stopped, although he still gets night terrors and he suffers from pretty severe anxiety. A few nights ago, he called me out of the blue, and after a bit of small talk, he asked me if I think the door being opened that final night means whatever was out there finally got in. He was trying to make light of it, saying he was getting into the spirit of Halloween, joking about how maybe we should all get exercised just in case something latched onto us all those years ago. But I think he's deeply bothered by everything that happened. I know I still am a little. I still get nervous around dark wooded areas. I don't know what I think was out there in the forest behind our house at night, but I get the feeling that, given the chance, it would have swallowed us whole. We need to get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Now back to the horror. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Creepy stuff so far. 
But now let's hear directly from a listener coming in off the hotline. And as a reminder, our hotline is free and open to anyone with a story or experience to tell. So if that sounds like you, make sure you take advantage over at disturbedpodcast.com slash hotline. As for now, let's hear from Winnie. For context, I live in Southeast Asia, and this happened many years ago. I was about nine when this happened. This was not my first experience with paranormal stuff, but it was the most unsettling. During my holidays, my parents sent me off to a short camp at an old school that had a dormitory within its premises. We later found out that the dorm was built on an old cemetery ground. Everything seemed normal until the evening. I made friends with the other kids there, and unfortunately, one of the girls staying in my dorm room with two bunk beds and four kids had to leave as her grandma was in the hospital. This left the top bunk of my bed empty. I found it hard to sleep, being anxious away from home, and was the last one awake in our room. It must have been around 2am when I started to feel really uneasy. It felt like the safety got sucked out of the room. I was laying down and facing the wall, so I turned around to see if anyone had entered our room. Instead, I saw a pale face hanging down from the top bunk, staring at me. It's hard to remember all the details, but what really stuck with me was its huge red mouth. It looked human, except it had an abnormally large blood red mouth, and it was smiling. Its eyes were white with what I perceived was glee. The entity did not come any closer to me, but it stayed hanging over the bunk with that sick smile, and it started swaying. This made me scared to move past it as I sensed it did not have good intention. I had my phone with me, so I called my parents to come fetch me as I did not want to spend another day there. My phone's dial pad glitched a few times, but eventually I was able to contact them and around 4am, the camp counsellor moved me to another room. I had to stay there the remaining two nights as it was part of their policy apparently, but the other two nights were peaceful. I tried to search out what the entity could be but did not really find a conclusive answer. Does anyone have any theories? Thanks for the story, Winnie. A pale, red-mouthed entity. Now that's one I haven't heard of yet. And after a bit of research, I wasn't able to come up with anything specifically linked to that description. So if any listeners have any ideas, let me know on the hotline. But what I will say is if it were me, I'm not so sure I would have handled it as well as Winnie did. Thanks again for the submission. Now next up, we hear from Reddit user MasterAdvantage5833 featuring voice work by Dave Thakara, and we try to make sense of an unnerving encounter. To begin with, I was not high when these events happened. I was in a car with a few of my friends driving around to find a spot to park and smoke. These events took place a couple of months ago. So I'm a college student in a very small North Carolina town. It's a population of about 3,000 people, and the town is less than three square miles, with most of it being one long road leading to and from the big cities. The demographic here is pretty much exclusively old people. One thing to support this is the amount of funeral homes and hearses on every corner. My friends and I have always talked about how it's creepy being that it's such a small town, but it makes sense because the people are all much older. One day, the five of us pack into our friend's car and start to drive around. We're looking for somewhere that's kind of discreet, since it's still daylight outside, but not just blatantly on someone's property. 
we pull into a neighborhood that looks pretty typical. Simple one-story houses that all looked the same. Until they didn't. We turned onto a road that split off into a cul-de-sac. The moment we turned onto this road, I got a sinking pit in my stomach. As if we were somewhere we were not supposed to be. Like we had broken something in the universe or accidentally shifted dimensions. I remember looking at my roommate next to me in the back seat and instinctively murmuring, We shouldn't be here. Each of the houses within this cul-de-sac were extremely unique and different. One was a pretty sunshine yellow narrow two-story house. One was a wider and more full blue and purple house. One looked like a normal suburban one-story beige house, but instead of beige it was a deep maroon color. And the last one, all the way on the right, was a dark gray house with black trim. Each of the houses were very close together and had very different yard decorations, from big extravagant Easter bunnies and Easter eggs to random gnomes to Christmas trees to wagons all over. They were scattered about like landmines. The dark house had shovels scattered about, but no holes in the ground that implied digging. The cul-de-sac had a long, narrow, grassy median or island that you drive around to enter or leave. All of us in the car had an overwhelming urge to leave immediately. So we made our way around the little island. As we got around it, we looked at the dark house again. A man stood on the side of the house, facing us, but standing completely still. He was a black man, wearing yellow, with blue overalls and a dark shadow in front of his face. I don't know if it was hair or some sort of covering, but his face was not visible. We sped off and out of the neighborhood, worried that maybe he'd think we were trespassing and shoot us. Something you always have to be prepared for in rural North Carolina. This was the rational worry at the time, but in the moment, we all felt an energy so powerful it could have pinned us to the ground if it tried. It felt all-knowing and maybe even evil. We left without issues, but all of us felt the same pit in our stomachs, like we saw something we weren't supposed to. The weirdness doesn't stop there, though. When recalling the events, our stories all match up, until recalling the man in the yard. We all saw someone, but the five of us each have a very different description of the person. One of them saw a little girl in a dress. Somebody else saw a woman in white. Someone else, a man with a long beard and a gut, wearing what looked like a dark suit. Each recollection of the memory, the person stood frozen in the exact same spot on the side of the house. To this day, we have no idea what we encountered or what exactly happened. It freaked all of us out, and we swore never to go back there. I apologize if this is not the right sub for this, but if anyone knows of a sub where this experience may be more welcomed, please share. Please share.
Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystory@disturbedpodcast.com. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user Logical World Lines, featuring voice work by Tanya E.B. And we uncover a terrifying ploy. This was about a few years ago, maybe three or four. I try not to think about it. One day, closer to its starting to the sun setting, maybe around like 6 p.m., I went to Walmart to get some things. I can't remember what for. I parked in a spot and pulled through to an empty spot in front of it, so I was facing frontwards. I went on my phone for a second because I had some anxiety about going in right away. I had smoked some weed a little while prior to this, and as I've gotten older, I have gotten more paranoid in public while high. When I was younger, it never bothered me. I am 25, female, now at the time of writing this. But now I can't really do it. Don't know why. Anyways, I was on my phone, and after a while I realized that this car in the lane that I thought was trying to find a spot wasn't moving. The headlights from the car were annoying me, and I realized they weren't going away. I looked up, and to my left, this car was like a RAV4-looking car was just there, maybe about a car and a half's length away from mine, just sitting idle, the car on. I couldn't see who was in it because the lights were bright. I honestly didn't think much of it. Maybe they were looking at their phone or something. So I went back to look on mine. A long while later, finally they moved, but very slowly. It caught my attention again because of how slow. I look up and these two Hispanic men with weird, stern, kind of glaring looks on their faces drove by me, both staring at me while I stared back. Now again, I didn't think anything of it. In the moment, it truthfully didn't seem too weird. All of this happened within the span of like two minutes. I don't think anything of it, get up the courage to go inside and walk in. I don't go to Walmart often, so I'm trying to look up at the signs to where I need to go. Now at this point, I'm hearing footsteps following me, which is weird because there's a lot of people in there, but amidst all of the other footsteps, I can't explain why, but for some reason, there were these pairs of footsteps that just stood out to me. I could hear them a little ways behind me. It felt like I could hear them because they were almost matching my strides and going where I was going. I thought to myself, okay, I'm just high. I'm just hearing things and sensing things because I'm a little paranoid high right now. But I couldn't shake it. I look behind me, still walking, and I can pick out whose footsteps they are. Two girls, kind of around my age, in sweats almost like PJs pushing a cart. Oh, okay. Nothing to worry about. I'm a graphic designer and an artist, so when I all of a sudden pass by the greeting cards aisle, I stop and I'm like, oh yay, I'll check out some cool little designs. I love doing that. So I don't even get to check out maybe more than one card when all of a sudden there are the girls. I'm towards the middle of the aisle, and they start coming up to me. I feel them coming, and I start to panic a little. Why are they here? I really had heard them following me. WTF? At this time, I didn't even think anything of the two guys from the parking lot. Since this occurrence and watching way too much true crime, 
I've lowered my amount of how too friendly I am with strangers, but at this time, I was overly nice to people. I feel like if this happened now, I might have acted somewhat differently. They were like, hi, and I nervously said, hi, back. I was confused. They didn't have anything in their cart. I can't remember exactly what was said. I don't remember if they went right into this, but I don't really remember any small talk. They looked at me trying to be genuine and started asking if I wanted to learn more about some religion, the Church of God or something. At this time, it clicked in my head. I'd remembered another similar incident happening a few years prior to this that happened to me and my friend, that I'll talk about at the end, that she found out has something to do with human trafficking. I'm freaking out inside, but politely say, oh no, thank you, and start walking away. I walk quickly towards the exit and leave the store, with my key in between my fingers, just in case. I look around the whole time trying to be aware of my surroundings, then I drive away, wasting no time. In my head at the time, I'm thinking, dang, did those girls need help, though? It didn't click to me until days after that those two men had to have scoped me out. Those girls worked for them or something, and they said, hey, follow this girl. A few years prior to this encounter, I was at this mall that is the rich mall near town. It has Swarovski and Gucci stores in it, along with other high-end stuff, so it gets busy. Me and an old friend and her boyfriend at the time were standing in the food court waiting for our Chick-fil-A to be ready. It was busy at the time, so there were a lot of people around. All of a sudden, these two Filipino-looking women dressed kind of corporate, nice light gray blazer and pencil skirts, came up to us specifically and started to talk with us. My friends were those bubbly Christians that would be so, so nice to everyone. So they happily engaged in conversation. I let them talk with them because I was more shy back then. But as it went on, they started trying to give us pamphlets about that same religion, Church of God or something. They explained how God was a woman and all this other stuff. My friends kindly declined their offers to talk more about this. The women asked why. My friend explained she's a Christian and who she believed God was, and she also was trying to show them Christianity. The women talk more, and at this point, I look at my friend and realize she's crying. Now, my friend, we'll call her Sam, she was an emotional person. So I just thought, oh, it's just Sam being Sam. Please don't think I'm insensitive. She was emotional about everything, and I was always there for her, don't get me wrong. But she got distraught so much to the point where she wasn't acting herself and had to walk, almost run, away. Me and her boyfriend, we'll call him Ron, just kind of stood there stunned. The ladies legit did not even seem phased, which was weird to me. They looked at us and were just like, would you like to talk more about it? Obviously not. You just made my friend cry and run away? We say no and go over to Sam. She's kind of just over by the wall and not looking good. I was like, dude, what's wrong? We just have to get our food and go. So we all finally get our food and sit down away from that area. She explained that she legit felt like spiritually attacked. She felt so overwhelmed that these women were not okay and that something was just so wrong and off about what they were doing. I tried to scope out the wide open food court for the ladies because honestly, they would have stood out, but we couldn't see them anywhere. A long time goes by, and me and Sam aren't as close, but still talk here and there. One day, she texts me just my name and a screenshot. You know when your friend texts just your name and something along with it? 
It's serious. I open the text and the screenshot is a tweet Sam saw. It was a thread that this girl had posted. It talked about how once she was at a store and the same thing happened to her. These women came up and started talking about what we talked about. She was asked to take a pamphlet and talk more about this religion outside of the place. This girl in her tweets goes on to say that she learns that this is a ploy to get girls to come back to their car for the women's forgotten business card or some other sort of tactic to get them to their car. Or even say, meet me at this place to talk more about this religion, and then they will kidnap these girls into human trafficking. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. I've only tried to look it up once, and that was right after Sam had texted me. I don't really like to think about all of this, but something fishy was definitely up both of those times. One more thing. Fast forward to last year, I ended up working at a high-end furniture store at this mall for a year. During that time, two more times, I alone, out of a sea of mall goers, was picked out and talked to by similar ladies. Both times this time, they were the same ladies. I am more outspoken now, so the second time I just said, look, I know this is fake. I know what this is. Stop trying to talk to me. She looks at me, trying to look confused, saying, it's not fake. But by this time, I'm already walking back to the furniture store. So yeah, please, please just watch your surroundings anywhere you go, especially if you're a woman. I know that this stuff can happen to literally anyone, but I've talked to men about how they feel walking around parking lots or stores, and it is not the same vibe as how I and I know a lot of other women feel. I always park under or near parking lot lights. I have my keychain pepper spray in my hands or keys through my fingies. You know the drill. No man I've ever talked to ever thinks about that stuff, really. Women are strong, but evil is sometimes stronger. Please be safe. Maybe putting this out there will make someone think twice about going along with some nice ladies trying to talk about their religion. If your gut tells you something, listen. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Submit your own experience to the show in writing or through the hotline, all available at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is produced by yours truly and funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters, Carly Duncan, Megan Baker, Jeremy Holcomb, and Laura Dunlap. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases, and you can too. Patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.